Jordan is on best. Harper's on Miller. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you have not already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. We're just about to 50 reviews, which is pretty awesome. So uh, yeah, if you haven't done that already, please be sure to, of course, share it on social media, tag me in it, shoot me any questions, comments, anything you got on there. I am psyched to be joined by a friend of mine, and he's been on the pod multiple times. Actually, we probably haven't talked since what? We did that pod with Chris in May. It's, yeah, it. we've talked on Twitter, but yeah, I'm Matthew Miranda um, from over at Posting and Toasting, and also uh, the Strickland is with us today. Matt, how are you doing, man? I'm doing, I'm doing very well, all things considered. Mark, how about you? I'm good. I can't complain. So I actually, I have to ask you before we even get started, have you watched Mandalorian yet? Van Horn, did you say? Yeah, have you watched, watched Mandalorian? Oh, sorry. I'm in, I'm already in basketball mindset, so I thought oh. you meant Keith Van Horn, and I was like, I don't know what Keith Van. Oh, Horn's. Keith Van Horn, no. Uh, no, I have not. But we just um, we haven't had so we we took a, a large cut in our media access during most of the quarantine, but mm-hmm. we are now um, disdified. So um, a buddy of mine the other day was I, I've successfully avoided almost all spoilers, and my friend who I trust very much was like, start it now. So I haven't seen it. But I'm starting it now over the holidays, and based on the um, vibes that seem to be going around the end of the recent season, I'm excited to be getting into it. I trust you have seen it, and you are yeah. a fan. Yes, that's why I was bringing it up because I remember we did our, we did our Marvel yeah, pod, yeah. which is awesome. So it was like, um, I was hopeful, man. But yeah, we'll have to we'll have to touch base on it again. But it's uh, mm-hmm. other than Rogue One, it's the best thing that's come out since the old trilogy ended except i mean yeah. i'm always going to say revenge of the sith is like the best movie ever but that's because <laughs> i was nine when it came out and saw it for my birthday and got a bootleg yeah, copy for my birthday so i mean like i can't it might it's, feel differently on that but yeah uh, i'm definitely um i'm definitely excited to check it out and it sounds like it's kind of finding itself and picking up steam as it's going along which is awesome yeah definitely i think you'll love it um Speaking of other things you'll love, I mean, you actually get to watch basketball from your team for the first time in like, what, nine months now? A little um, over nine months. Yep. Yeah, it's got to be just about there. I can't even imagine that. Like, I, I went crazy not being able to watch the Pacers play for like three. So uh, yeah. I guess my first question would be like, um, I, I'm coming away from preseason, how are you feeling so far? Obviously, new coaching staff, um, definitely a restructured front office. Um, mm-hmm. Where are you kind of at with things? I feel good right now. I would say um, I feel good because I think Tom Thibodeau is the most um, respected coach that they've probably had since D'Antoni 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I'm optimistic that um, they haven't. So the last front office and the last regime for a long time was judged on a very low bar of they haven't made any obvious screw ups. And they rode that for a long time. Um, but they didn't ever do anything great. They just didn't make any obvious groups. I really wasn't thrilled completely on draft night with what the Knicks did trading kind of down and up for, for more picks and then just ending up with Emmanuel quickly um, and Obi Toppin. But, um, and of course this is with the giant caveat that they've only played two games against Detroit and Cleveland so far, and they were preseason games. Mm -hmm. But I feel that there's a couple things that already strike me as potentially different with this Nick team than years past. And they're small, they're small differences, but that can be significant. Um, and the first is there's an actual head coach, um, not a hype man and not someone who's there to be um, the GM's toady, but like an actual coach. There is potentially now a guard who can shoot and pass and dribble penetrate, which the Knicks always have guards who can do one of those things, but not all of them. Um, so it really has been remarkable seeing, again, preseason or whatever caveat you want, seeing quickly just doing things that you always see other teams' guards do has been very exciting. And um, R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson 
Mitchell Robinson last game played 27 minutes and didn't commit a foul, which is probably the first time it's ever happened. Yeah, when that guy is out there in no foul trouble for 30 minutes, they're a different team. And Barrett um, Barrett looks to me more confident. He looks much more effective in the mid-range. His free throw shooting is up about 25 points, which may or may not last. But um, I don't think the Knicks are that far away from – at least being a tough out, which has not been the case for quite a while. So um, as preseason goes, given the Detroit and Cleveland, I'm not expecting any playoffs, but I do think that the team that started last year four and 18 is probably not going to happen either. Yeah, definitely. I mean, first thought, have you seen what David Fizdale's hair looks like now? Uh, I don't know if you've seen a Roman J Israel Esquire. It's a, it's a Denzel movie. That's a, it's, that was the first thought. I'll have to send you a picture, man. But that was the first thought I yeah. had when I saw Fizdale's hair. Um, Fizz is a new father, so he's gonna, he's gotta, he's gotta be up late and just take care of what he has to take care yeah. of. But yeah, I'm the not- Fizz tenure did not work out in uh, in New York, and I think that's kind of one of the interesting perceptions about the team. Like uh, with Mike Miller, they were actually decent. They weren't like obviously they weren't world beaters, but they were like kind of similar to Chicago. Um, they weren't the bottom of the of the barrel but they definitely obviously you know their deficiencies if Alfred Payton is your starting point guard you're gonna have problems um you know so but yeah I'm, I think with Mitchell Robinson are you still concerned that he's not starting do you think that might change up or because that's something I've taken like a little bit of note with but the main concern I don't have any concerns on the floor because I think um I think the team between Robinson now adding Erlins Noel has a good rim protector, rim runner for 48 minutes. And Mitch has said all the right things. The the Mm -hmm. only concerns with Mitch is he has after this year, he's on a ridiculous contract. I think it's four years, six and a half million that they signed him to a couple of years ago. And um, he obviously wants a new deal. And he now is on his sixth agent um, in four, four years. Um, So I'm not worried about Mitch not starting on the court. I believe that if he earns it, he'll get it. Yeah. And I don't get this. I don't get the, the, the question is, this is not the regime that drafted him. So are they concerned? Like, are they concerned about the, the turnover? Mitch, I don't know. I don't know if the front office cares. There is a, a, a history. If you look at, I think he committed to like two different colleges and he didn't show up to, Western Kentucky, um, right? Yeah, he I ended up in Western yeah. Kentucky, but never really attended. And he's had all different agents. And there are some questions about, you know, Mitchell Robinson is amazing when you're paying him a million and a half dollars. But his next deal, he's going to make probably 10 times that much or close to it. And is Mitchell Robinson's head in the game when he's making that kind of money over like four years? That's the only concern some people have. I still think the bulk of the fan base loves him and just wants to see him play and wants to see him out there succeeding. Um, I'm not worried about if he doesn't start early, will he sulk? I think I don't have a problem with, you know what, go win the job, like go earn it, go win it. You're up against the, you're not up against Taj Gibson. Now you're up against, I think Noel's like 26, maybe like go, go win the job. And if you win it, I think you'll be fine. I don't, I don't think the Knicks have any bias against him, but um, I don't think Tom Thibodeau is going to, he doesn't owe him anything. Um, If Noel plays better, Noel's going to start. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Like Tom Thibodeau is very much so that you're going to freaking earn it coach. So, I mean, Keith Mm -hmm. Bogan started over Jimmy Butler for forever. It felt (laughs) like, so yeah, he's definitely going to have to earn it. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, so far with Obi Toppin, obviously were you more like concerned a little bit with drafting quickly instead of Toppin or not concerned, but like you mentioned not being super thrilled with the draft. I was so I went through all the, the stages of grief with Toppin um, because Toppin was very strange because for months, no one had him going past five. So yeah. when we were doing all of our draft analysis, we didn't, I didn't even think about doing Toppin because I, I figured he wouldn't be there. And if you had made before the draft a list of like, okay, what kind of archetype player do the Knicks need first? You would not have listed a scoring for who doesn't seem to do anything else at the top of your list. So I was much more interested in Isaac Okoro or Patrick Williams or even Killian Hayes. Um, but I will say, so then about 24 hours before the draft, all these stories leaked that they're taking Toppin. And there was anxiety because people thought 
this is strictly a CAA thing. Toppin's agent is Leon Rose's son. This isn't about the best player possible. This is about nepotism. And oh my God, we've already been through this with the Nixon CAA. And then there was all this talk that they were going to trade up to get him, which really seemed like a disaster. I have to say so far, taking Toppin at eight feels to me fine because the Knicks literally need everything. So like, yeah. I can't turn my nose up at someone who can score. And one thing that I didn't read a ton of, but that I've seen in his games is Toppin is an excellent passer. Um, not a good passer. Like he is an excellent off the dribble, cross court, strong side or weak side, like a very good hockey assist kind of passer. And so if he is a scorer who also has at least mild point forward tendencies, I think knowing that Randall's going to be most likely gone in a year, I'm okay with that. And quickly, I wanted more of a classic point guard because I didn't, I had not read or thought that quickly could really play the point. Um, but quickly his ability to score at multiple levels, his ability to defend and just certainly his ability to shoot. I mean, if what we've seen so far is at all emblematic of his game, then I think the Knicks did great. Um, and I won't miss suddenly Peyton Pritchard or Tyrell Terry the way that I thought I would, because quickly has, has walked in from day one and looked like he's ready for the job. So the draft fingers crossed to this point looks like it could be really good. Um, it looks like they could have added two starters and I don't think I felt that way on draft night. We'll see how it goes, but so far, so far the rookies look good. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, no, I'm excited for Toppin. I think if you have the right pieces around him, he'll be good. And I like what you mentioned about the passing too. Cause, um, yeah, like out of short roll and just his ability to attack the rim. Um, he, he brings a lot. And if you can pass out, that's huge too. I'm interested to see how the shot falls. Like how did he shoot in preseason just in terms of outside? He shot 38% from the floor and 9% from three. So it was not an amazing. Oh, <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, again, just preseason, but. In his defense. Um, and I think this is a result of the super abbreviated period between the draft and the preseason and the abbreviated preseason. You could tell that Thibodeau was doing a lot of like, let's throw this out there and let's see what happens. Toppin, yeah. for a lot of the preseason, the Knicks treated him like Steve Novak and just had him kind of floating around the perimeter, which was at times infuriating. But I do think that they're, they're just, they have to find out like right now, where is this guy as far as an outside threat? Because again, they really don't have many shooters. So sadly, Toppin at this point is probably one of their front court players most likely to let loose from deep. Um, he, he, I, I, again, I, I, I don't know how much to judge what he did. He has the highest shot I've ever seen. Like I thought Kevin Knox had like rainbows, but Toppin, Toppin shot seems to go like off the it's camera. Like a trebuchet, man. Like that's <laughs> how I always feel with Miles Turner. Like yeah. Miles Turner's shot is just like I feel like it's gonna hit the um the jumbotron every time he takes it, man. Like it's so high arcing. If that's where Toppin ends up, then I'll take it. Um, when he makes it, it's a beautiful splash. But um, I think already they've had him doing more work from deep than he did at Dayton. And I think um, the the question always with the Knicks, and I, I give Thibodeau the benefit of the doubt so far, is the Knicks historically do not put players in positions to succeed. And I don't think Toppin drifting around the three-point line is the best position to succeed. But like there was some time they played him with Randall. And if you're going to do that, they can't both be down low. So yeah. um, we'll wait and see. Um, I think the things that we expected to see from Toppin, you've seen some of the explosiveness, you've seen some of the ability to, to post off of people. Um, the outside game has not been there yet. Um, we'll see what happens, I think, as he gets a little more settled. Because you could see... Uh, he really actually seems to care about being a Nick and his first preseason and his first shot. Like, the, I mean, you could just see the nerves coming off of the ball. Like he had it. So when he settles down, I think we'll see how that jumper comes along, but so far not as good a shooter as advertised, a better passer than advertised. Okay. Yeah. And then, I mean, with RJ, I knew uh, he worked with Drew Hanlon this summer on um, of course, getting his, his shot better. Um, at three so far doesn't look like it's there, but the mid range shot looks fantastic. I mean, he has, he added that fade away. Um, and like you mentioned with his free throw shooting, what are your kind of expectations for him this year? Cause I know, um, I thought some of the, the expectations that people levied on him last year were 
like a little, I mean, of course, unfair, like that team, him being the best ball handler and passers, that's asking a lot out of a dude who's 19 years old. Right. Um, so the best best shooter too. Um, Yeah. Which is crazy, ridiculous to even think about, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, so what are your thoughts on him going into this next year and kind of how he looks so far? I have high hopes. Um, I wrote in a piece today that the Nick spacing last year was like having an orgy in a phone booth. (laughs) Um, Simply by removing one or two bodies, it changes things a lot. And when quickly started and they had Reggie Bullock also in the lineup, um, that opens things up so much. And I think when RJ has any space, I think he's not the same game at all as Gordon Hayward, but I think Mm -hmm. as a guy who like, he may never be the best player on a title contender, but as a guy who can get you ultimately one day, like 20 and five and five and move the ball. And, and he's actually a good defender too. I have high hopes for him because his professionalism to me has never been in question. He seems like uh, the only guy I've seen like him this in a while with the Knicks was David Lee, where every single year David Lee added something to his game. And I get the sense Barrett is like that. I'm watching him and listening to him in interviews and what people say about him. So I have very high hopes for RJ. I think his ceiling will again, depend on, are you putting him in a position to succeed? Thibodeau um, spoke recent, I think it was Thibodeau. uh, There was an article about the Knicks wanting to view RJ more as a small forward than a two guard. And I think that's good. Um, I think that puts him in a better position. I think that lets you play people behind him that can shoot. Um, I think when Randall is gone, that will help because Randall and RJ um, tend to end up occupying similar spaces. So if um, if they can give him the help that he needs, I think he can really surprise people. Um, I don't have any qualms about him. I have more more concerns about what they do around him, but I think he'll be great if they let him be. Yeah, definitely. I, I really like his game too. And I agree on him being a three. He doesn't quite have like the burst on ball to really get past two guards. Um, but at the three, I think he could do that for sure. Um, yeah, he's a strong that, dude. Oh, he's, he's very strong. strong. Like I, I love his game, frankly. Um, mm-hmm. But I think kind of two things off that. A, I forgot that David Lee played for the Knicks. I know he started his career there and actually played like the most time there. Um, mm-hmm. So just a funny thought there. Were, I could try and name all of the power forwards who played for the Knicks in the mid 2000s, but that would take forever. Um, I know Jared Jeffries was in there. He didn't work out. I know Zach Randolph played for like one year for the Knicks. Zach was um, quite good. Yep. Yeah. Man, there were a lot of others. Chaney <laughs> Fry was there. Oh, shoot. Yeah, Chaney Fry got drafted by the Knicks. Yes, we did. I forgot Very about important. that. Oh, I'm after- just thinking of all of my 2K games from like 2007. <laughs> like, who was on that team? Oh, man, that is a that is a throwback. Um, the year Fry was drafted, um, Isaiah Thomas said – about a week probably had an amazing like first two weeks and then the league figured out that all he could do was shoot um but isaiah thomas said they took fry i think eighth that was the year bogo went yeah. one and isaiah said that if if the knicks had had the number one pick in the draft they still would have taken shannon fry and it was just like such classic isaiah horseshit that like he said it he said it you know a weekend when fry was at like the top of his game and then a year later they traded fry in the deal for zach randolph who they then traded like for cap space. So like just classic, like there were Marbury compared to Tim Duncan. It was, it was peak 2000s Knicks madness. Oh man. Who then becomes an extremely serviceable player for like a long time, but maybe not Tim Duncan. Like, yeah, definitely not Tim Duncan. <laughs> Apparently, Anthony Davis is better than Tim Duncan now. I don't know. I've, I've been ready to log off Twitter a couple times today. It's been that, that kind of day. Um, but yeah, so I guess the other thing too, I mean, Julius Randle, so you're pretty resigned to the fact that he's not going to be on the roster moving forward, like sometime this year. I don't have the hate for Randle that a lot of people seem to have because I think he is the classic. He was signed as a plan C and he was put in a position he doesn't belong in and he yeah. struggled and now people blame the player. But the thing with Randle is um, it's hard to see him being prioritized over Barrett and Toppin. And unless Randle... Randall next year has a $4 million buyout or if they keep him, it's around 20, it's around 20, 20 million. Um, I can't see the Knicks keeping him to, to block those two from developing. So the only way I could see Randall coming back is if they bought him out 
and he wanted to come back for less money, like as a bench big. But I'm assuming, I don't think Randall's enjoying his time in New York. Um, I think he's gotten a lot of unfair grief. And I think that there is a team somewhere in the league who will recognize that when he's not your first option, like right before he left the Pelicans, when he was playing with Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday, this was a guy averaging like 20 points and five assists over 50% shooting. He's not a bum, um, but he shouldn't be the lead option. And especially not be the lead option again on a team that has no spacing. So I'm resigned to him leaving because I don't think he's going to want to stay. And I don't see where he fits going forward, given the value that Barrett and Toppin will probably have um, in the future. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And I, I'd agree with that. I think you look at, I mean, Julius was signed last year more just because they had cap space and they had to sign somebody. Um, and I, I agree. I mean, he, he went from the Pelicans was like the first time I felt other than he had a stretch um, his first year coming back with the Lakers when he wasn't injured, that he looked really good and he kind of had his shit figured out. Um, but then, of course, I mean, I feel like every Lakers player on that team got into really bad habits um, and he was just like the best player who got into bad habits and uh, kind of got out of it in, in New Orleans coming off the bench. And it just when you when you when you put somebody who's not a primary option as a primary option, that's what happens. So, yeah, I agree. Um, but it's, it's just interesting how that stuff works out. I remember thinking his career was going to go so differently. Um, I feel like part of it's been just like the way that the league has changed. But. Yeah, regardless, I'm uh, I'm interested to see what happens with him next. And I, I feel like he could definitely do something for a contender. He keeps there. It's his first game in the preseason. He had six assists. His last game, he had eight assists. Um, but he's he's just become – him and Peyton are the scapegoats. Like every game that Randall – any turnover, it's like people's PTS kicks in. And like they just – he there was a game they won, the comeback against Cleveland, um, that he was kind of a part of late. There was one play he spun into a triple team and turned it over. Mm-hmm. And even Walt Frazier said, right when it happened, Clyde said, this is why people like turn on Randall. And and then the next game wow. he had, and to get Clyde to say that. like That is, whoa. <laughs> right. But then the next game, the next, so this cracked me up. The next game, the game where they just destroyed the Cavaliers. Um, Randall had... In the first half, he took less shots than quickly and Barrett. He had six assists and I think one turnover. And I go on like Slack and Twitter and like people are still complaining about Randall being selfish. And I'm like, you know, I, I made a little comment. I said, Julius Randall could get you people to heaven and you complain that there's no peanuts on the flight. Like it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah. what he does. I think the fan base is done with him. And yeah. I think because the position that he is in would block again, Barrett and Toppin, I, I just don't see how it works out. But I will wish him success where he goes. I think he can do things. I just would like to see him in a in a position to succeed instead of a position where they're asking him to be Kevin Durant because he's not. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good way to put it. Um, so I guess I would transition and say, like, what questions or thoughts do you have on the Pacers headed into the year? Many. Um, beginning with, what is the story with Nate um, Bjorkren? And is the Pacers ceiling viewed any differently under the new coach than it would have been if Nate McMillan were still there? Yeah. Okay. So those are good questions. Um, I think number one with Nate Bjorkren, uh, I think there was this ideology around a lot of teams. Everyone who was looking for a new coach was looking for the next Nick nurse and um, Nate Bjorkren is about as close as it gets. I mean, coached, I believe three different G league teams worked under Nick nurse, obviously coached against Nick nurse when they were both G league head coaches. Um, He's just a total grinder. Like he started off coaching high school basketball, um, moved up to coaching in college and then coaching in the G League. Um, and now, I mean, he was obviously assistant coach last year. I know he was the guy who instituted the box and one, just super creative. Um, and he came kind of out of nowhere. Um, I, like it had been reported that uh, actually it had been reported by Nick Nurse. Like Nick Nurse was on a, uh, a radio call and he mentioned that Nate Borkren was, uh, was like, Getting, I believe he mentioned that Nate Bjorkman was going to have an interview with the Pacers. That was like the only thing we heard about it. I know there were some other rumblings from uh, from insiders, but I mean, everything was centered around Chris Finch and originally uh, Mike D'Antoni, but that fell out pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and then there was some stuff with maybe Darvin Ham. Like pretty much everybody who was in the cycle this year was mentioned as a Pacers head coach. And then just out of nowhere, Nate Bjorkman, head coach, Indiana Pacers. Um, no, I mean, just based off of everything, it's been really cool because for the last three years, um, 
Nate McMillan and Kevin Pritchard in their press conferences have talked about how the Pacers are going to shoot more threes, they're going to play faster, and then they don't do it. Um, and in the first three games of preseason, shot 45 threes in the first game, which would have beat the franchise record for threes in a game, shot 40 the next, and I believe they shot over 40 again against Philadelphia. So all of those are like, I mean, that would have ranked all five, all three of those games would have been in the top five of point attempts last season. Um, it's been interesting. Like they're, they're playing defense a lot differently. And me and Caitlin Cooper talked about that on a pod recently. And uh, she wrote about it too. They're doing a ton of ball pressure stuff. Um, which is very unsignature of, of the Pacers. They're normally pretty conservative and leave their guys on islands because uh, they have good rim protection. Mm-hmm. Um, so figuring that out has been weird because there have been like, they've been forcing a ton of turnovers, but they've also been getting gassed really quickly, uh, which part of that, of course, is, I mean, probably because it's a weird season, but also it's, the, I, I don't know, the jury's kind of out on that, but the biggest thing is that they're trying stuff. Like they're willing to try stuff and do things differently, mm-hmm. um, which is really cool to see because we're just not used to that. Um, but then that brings up another point that's interesting too, because, and, and that feeds right into what you're talking about with, is the ceiling different? I think maybe the ceiling is different, but I also think that maybe doesn't mean more wins, at least not in the regular season, because I think the, the reason yeah. that the Pacers have been such a good regular season team is because they've been regimented and they treat every single game like a playoff game, which of course bites them in the ass once they get to the playoffs and they have no other way to play. Um, but I also think that's going to lead to some some road bumps throughout the year as they are less focused on um, winning every game and more focused on winning in the postseason. Um, so I think ultimately it will be good in the long run. But I personally wouldn't be too shocked if they are like around 500, like 15 games in. Like I, I could definitely see that. It could even be a below 500. I wouldn't be too surprised. But I think that they will um, certainly be above but the I the whole play-in thing is, is pissing me off. It's getting annoying. I try and say playoff team. And I'm like, well, I guess right. they're playing if they're the seven seed. Like, I don't know. But, mm-hmm. um, I mean, yeah, I think ultimately they probably end up around the six or seven seed this year, depending on how things go. A lot depends on Victor Oladipo and, you know, how that meshes and how things work with Miles Turner and Demonis Sabonis. Um, but overall, a lot of encouraging signs. But I think I have more questions than I have answers so far, which isn't a bad thing. So, I wanted to ask about Oladipo. Um, I haven't seen the Pacers in the preseason, but I've seen the numbers. And so I don't know what the breakdown is in terms of the kinds of shots that he's taking. He doesn't seem to be shooting well, mm-hmm. um, but I know he's working back obviously from, from not playing very much the last maybe year and a half. I don't even know how long it's been. It's been, um, yeah, like two, two years. It feels like probably around there. Yeah. How has Oladipo looked now as, does he look any different now as he did in the bubble? Yeah, he does. Um, so the first two games, it was more of, I felt like he wasn't, not that he wasn't trying, but he's just like getting back into rhythm, you know. Um, the biggest difference is that his handle is still not there. Um, like he's he's mentioned it in post-game pressers that, you know, his he's still just not in rhythm. You know, he's not used to being athletic again. And I think it shows like, um, especially when he tries to cross from right to left, uh, he bangs the ball into his knee a ton because his his legs aren't quite up to speed with I mean his handle's not up to speed with where his legs are at um so I think it's going to take some time for him to get back to there but I mean the the game against Philadelphia is the best game that he's had um since I mean they had a game their final game of uh pre-hiatus was against Boston and he played really well there um but just in terms of burstiness and um his ability on ball I there's still a lot that I'm not sure about um he started showing some more like the first two games, he didn't drive to the basket at all. And that was part of the issue in the bubble too. Like there was a very clear um, way to put it. I think he was, he got isolated on the left side, a whole team cleared out to the right uh, in the playoffs against Miami. He was isolated on Duncan Robinson and he settled for a contest for a contested three. So like that is the total opposite of Victor Oladipo that we're used to. Um, so I think that's what we're looking for. I mean, he's, tried to dunk it like two or three times. And I think he's actually made, I mean, no, I know he's made one or two. Um, The other, he got fouled the fuck out of by Andre Drummond, but they didn't call a foul. Um, But you know, you win some, you lose some, Uh, but no, overall, I mean, I think encouraging signs for him. Um, I'm just a little bit, I don't want to say hesitant, but I'm, I'm hopeful that he's not going to just get super into uh, trying to take some off the dribble threes. Like he's a good off the dribble shooter. um, And that was a big part of it. Why he was so good in 17, 18. Um, but at the same time, I mean, there's no one who can collapse the defense like he can. And if you don't have anyone who can collapse the defense, then you're kind of screwed because Malcolm Brogdon can, but he's really 
he's struggling to score at the rim still. Like he's good at getting a step on his guy, but finishing has been a problem for him. Yeah. Um, but he's still really good at doing it. But yeah, I mean, Victor is just kind of the key to making everything work. What are the odds as of now that Oladipo signs a long-term deal with the Pacers? See, that's a great question. Yeah, I. so it's funny too, because all of these guys who are supposed to be you know, the cream of the crop free agents next year. What are we at now? Victor is probably the top free agent for next year, which is remarkable to say. And what is LaMarcus Aldridge up there? Like, I mean, that's not that I, I like LaMarcus a lot more than people do, but um, that's mostly a joke. He's like, but still, he's probably like a top six or seven free agent this next year. Like, um, but yeah, I mean, so the offer, uh, which has been tabled, I believe um, it was going to be four for one thirteen. Um, they discussed it, but he's still, you know, they're still far apart on it. Mm. Um, I, I almost want to say it's beneficial for the Pacers and for Victor that this is a contract year for him um, because he's going out and he has to perform well. And if he performs well, I do think that um, I, I don't want to say what with 100% solidarity that he's going to sign with the Pacers, but the Pacers can offer him the most money. And I think it's different from the Paul George situation because Paul, like blatantly did not want to play in Indiana anymore. And Victor just wants to get paid what he thinks he's worth. Um, and I think if it happens in Indiana, he'd be, I don't know if happy to stay here is the right way to put it, but I think he'd be fine staying here. Um, I do. I've, I've struggled a little bit with some of the hate he's gotten um, just yeah. because like, I mean, he has not handled things the best. And I think a lot of it's been on his agent, um, which I'm learning more and more how important agents are for the way players handle things. Um What's but, been the what's been the turmoil with him slash his agent? Oh yeah, well, I mean, everything came out through Sham Sharania. Like nothing came through Team PR. I remember I was on the call when we talked to Nate McMillan the day after um, Victor Oladipo first said he wasn't going to play. It was uh, July third. He was like, mm-hmm. "I'm not going to play in the bubble." And the first question Nate McMillan got asked was, "How did you find out that that Vic wasn't playing? Did he tell you in the front office board beforehand?" And Nate's like, "I found out the exact same way you guys did." Wow. So that was like, I remember being on that call. I was like, oh, wow, that's different. Um, yes. Which, you know, part of that I think is part of the reason for why he ended up not being with Pacers anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's been different. Like every single thing that he's done for the last, you know, seven or eight months, anything that would go through Team PR has gone through Sham Sharani and the Athletic, um, which wow. is, it's not... I don't want to say that it's it's not like criminalizing, but it's just a, it's a little bit of a weird look, um, just given the state yeah. of how things are and and all that. So I, that's been odd. Um, but overall, I mean, like that's the kind of thing. Like I I don't know if you know Jay Michael. He's Indy Star Report. He's probably um, like just about the top insider for the team. He sure. released that article that went you know massively viral about a month ago about how he was going up to players and saying, "Hey, can I play? I want to play with you guys." He broke that article. Okay. Um, and he reached out to, uh, I believe his name is Aaron Turner is Victor's agent. He reached out to him multiple times, uh, for comment. Like he sat on that story for a month. Um, and wow. Aaron Turner just never messaged him back. Like, wow. so he had an opportunity to reply and have comment on it or try and dispute it and just never did anything. Um, so obviously that blew up and, uh, I mean, they disputed it after, but like it's that, that kind of thing is like, if you had a good agent, um, that probably doesn't happen. So was there any word on whether or not that rubbed any of his teammates the wrong way? Or uh, first- uh, there have definitely been rumblings that it was uh, not well. Re- there were, there were some issues in the locker room uh, beforehand. They seem to be kind of, I, I mean, based on stuff, they seem a little bit more resolved now. Um, yeah. Things are in a new direction with Nate Bjorkren, which has been the one thing that I want to try and reiterate to people. Cause I think it's been more established within Indiana, but I think there's an idea outside that it's just a dumpster fire or not even that it's a dumpster fire, but there are things are rocky. And I think um, that's more over the summer and into the bubble is where things were really fiery and not good. And a lot of that was probably why we saw Nate McMillan get, well, not a lot of it. All of it is pretty much why we saw Nate McMillan get fired. Obviously they lost in the first round, but a lot of that is just, um, you know, there were, there were some, some issues in the locker room that, that took place. Um, and Nate just didn't want to be a part of it. He was like, I, I just coach, you know, I'm not here to deal with that. So very much like a different mentality than, uh, than a lot of coaches currently. So it was, uh, that was a big part of that. Uh, what is the current brave new horizon for the Turner Sabonis pairing? Uh, yeah, well, I am less optimistic on it than most. Um, I think the idea is that, 
Miles is going to shoot six or seven threes a game, which sounds nice. But um, you know, a lot of people like to pile on Nate McMillan and say that it was his fault that, you know, Miles didn't work. And that's partially true. I mean, he was not environmentally not a great fit. Um, but also Miles is a big record scratch guy. Like he'll get the ball and he just he takes too too long to make a decision. Um or he just makes the wrong decision or not even the wrong decision. Like he's trying to make, trying so hard to make the right decision. that he doesn't just make the quick decision, which is often the right decision. Um, so I, I think we saw, he only played in one preseason game because he ended up with a concussion. Um, but, you know, I, I think it looked promising at first. There was one three where it looked like he could have, one of the ones would have been a classic record scratch for him. He, uh, he pump faked, uh, did a dribble to his right man totally blew by him and he, he canned a three which was awesome um so i the, the idealized version is that he's shooting a ton and just stretching the floor um but i still think like how much better is that than having uh a wing who does like a 90 percent of the talent but just fits more of a need and makes it easier to actually make things function like Kelly Oubre, probably not, no, definitely not as impactful of a player as Miles Turner, but you just look at the idea of, okay, if TJ Warren's at the four, Kelly Oubre's at the three, you have just a ton of dynamic guys who can handle the ball, um, mm -hmm. who can do a lot of different things. And I think one thing that I'm in interested to see, especially with the ball pressure defense, um, I mean, they were playing Sabonis like up above the key. Like Andre mm -hmm. Drummond was, was at the top of the key and they had Sabonis on Andre Drummond, like not sagging <laughs> off at all, which was entirely weird. Um, yeah. But I, I mean, they're doing kind of like the Raptor scream closeouts, like just really helping digging a ton um, and, and closing out like that, but they don't have the personnel like the Raptors do. They don't have the same length in the backcourt or um, on the wings. So I I'm interested to see how that works. Cause I don't trust miles or Domas to close out to a corner. Um, that's asking a lot for either of them to do. So I, I'm interested to see how they make that work. But um, there are things that like we were seeing and they're like, okay, I guess that there you can tweak it. But overall, I still um, am of the mindset that one of them will get traded by the trade deadline. I would be personally surprised if one of them is not. Um, and that's not something that I, not that I'm somebody who's going to get aggregated, but um, like that's, that's just my mindset going into it. I just think, uh, I mean, they, They've been preaching continuity, um, but they also went and tried to make the move for Gordon Hayward. So, uh, well, I'm sure they want the continuity. Um, it's clear that they know they have to make a move. And I, I think it's it's obvious to everyone. It's just they have to make it work right now. Um, so we'll see with that. Is there any talk of – is there any tension between Sabonis and Turner? Do they see – No, I mean, they're pretty amicable, it seems yeah. like. Um, so – uh, I mean, Miles, for all his credit, I mean, he's he's the Julius Randle of the Indiana Pacers. Like, he gets so much crap. Like, anytime any anything goes wrong in a game, uh, it's Miles' fault. Um, and I've, I've always been a staunch Miles defender. He's a guy who definitely is more impactful than his box score tends to indicate. Um, but, no, he's he's great at handling stuff, which is why it sucks to, like, see him in trade rumors all the time, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. but he, uh, no, I, I, for the most part, I mean, Sabonis doesn't even like talking to media that much. He's just like really quiet. Um, and miles is always really good. So, uh, as far as I can tell, I mean, there, there isn't anything there, but I mean, I think it definitely has worn on, um, miles for sure. Like, I mean, he's probably on track to play his least minutes since his rookie year. I would bet. Um, I did a article probably three or three weeks ago. Um, like, projecting out the rotation because they're going to be playing much deeper. Um, you know, they talked about how they want to get Goga more minutes. Um, they want to, TJ want to play more at the four. I don't see how you can play Demonis Sabonis less um, mm -hmm. considering he's what he does to the team is so important. So that, okay. If you're making all those things happen, miles is playing less minutes and he already played only like 27 minutes per game last year. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how they make things work. What do you make of the Pacers bench this year? Uh, it is a, uh, it has not looked good in the preseason so far. Um, yeah. part of that, I mean, Jeremy Lamb's out and he's going to be out for another month and a half or two months still. Um, but so far the bench is definitely a work in progress after being one of the better bench units in the league last year. Um, I think though that Aaron holiday has a huge chance to step up and be like the six, be a real six man. Um, I mean, he's, he's always pretty him or Justin are always the first guys to come in as spot starters if someone's injured. Um, 
but I think that that Aaron has a real chance to be kind of a microwave guy off the bench. And he started showing some real growth in the bubble and he's been doing some of the same stuff in preseason too. Um, he used to be a really hesitant driver um, or he was more like, you know, somebody who would try and take a floater, but now he's actually seeking contact and trying to finish at the rim, um, which has been huge for him. Um, but overall, I'm, I mean, they have a lot of moving parts on the bench and they're trying to work in a lot more guys and, and make things look a little different. And I think a lot of it's maybe going to come with uh, trying to stagger some of their stars more because they used to almost, I don't want to say platoon swap, but in a sense um, they did. I mean, it was Domas with four bench guys for the majority of the bench minutes. Um, and then it, we really didn't see, I mean, again, Vic, Vic wasn't there. We saw him run with the bench a little bit in the bubble, but um, we never saw Malcolm run with the bench. Like it's going to be a lot more varied now. So as a fan, let's say this season, I'm, I'm always curious because the Knicks are in a completely different solar system than the Pacers. The Pacers are steady. The Pacers are always like, they're not a contender, but they're always a like quality. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can have this season end with, you know, Oladipo misses a three at the end of game seven in the second round against the Bucks, or you're trading Oladipo in February for a, a, mid-range lottery pick and the Pacers are going in that direction. Like, is there a sense for you of what you're ultimately hoping this group either is given a chance to achieve, or do you feel like I really don't see them getting that far and maybe they do need to try something drastic to start over? Like, like, cause there's narratives and like you follow this team for a while. Like, do you have a sense personally of what you'd ultimately like to see this group try to achieve this season and and in the in the future after yeah no that's a really interesting question i talked to i don't know if you know lazarus jackson he's he's over at detroit bad boys Mm -hmm. i talked with him about this the other day and we were talking in the context of like rudy gobert and where the jazz are at and i'm just like more of a person where i used to be like so like oh you have to do everything this way exactly this way or you're you're, you have to be a championship contender um i think obviously the goal is always the championship for for every team uh, but it's not a realistic goal for every team. And some people say that's a defeatist mentality. I think that's just being honest. Um, part of the reason why I really enjoy the Pacers and enjoy covering them is because they're always steady and they're always trying to win. And I like that. I don't, I mean, I grew up in Cleveland, man. Like I, <laughs> I, I grew up, I mean, this, this is the best Brown season in my entire lifetime. They're 10 and four. Um, yeah. So yeah. like, uh, I mean, obviously I had Le- LeBron was there, but the team's, uh, when LeBron was not there, I remember the very first uh, Cavs game I went to when I was like really invested in basketball. Like I went to Cavs games all the time growing up, but um, I was in high school and I went in the starting backcourt because Kyrie was out was Deion Waiters and Jarrett Jack. And that team was awful. Like those teams were so bad. Um, mm-hmm. Like there's just, there's something good about being a winning team. I think you give yourself a launching point if you're a winning team. And I think that's important. Like I look at that with Utah and Gobert. Like I know that deal got panned. Is it probably an overpay? Yeah. But Rudy Gobert is one of the 15 best players in basketball. Uh, The idea that he got played off the court against Houston is a joke. Um, Mm -hmm. That's just not true. I I don't know how to explain that to people other than like showing, like stapling their eyes open and making them watch (laughs) the game again. Um, But that would be inhumane. Um, But no, I think like you, if it, I look at it, okay, if you trade Gobert, then what? Like everyone's like, okay, well, I mean, they have Donovan Mitchell locked up. And I'm like, well, we're seeing now that doesn't matter. Like if you, if you trade Gobert, that team is not a playoff team. They're probably, maybe they're a play-in team. They're a nine, 10 seed, right? That's like a 42, 44 win team. You're not attracting anybody there as a free agent. You're not good enough to, I mean, you're not bad enough to get real draft assets um, and you're not trading Donovan Mitchell or you shouldn't trade Donovan Mitchell because who are you getting that's as good as Donovan Mitchell? Like, I, I think that we just get way too obsessed with this idea of tanking and tearing everything down to try and rebuild a, a, a title team. And that's it's just not realistic. And it's it also I don't want to say it's a cop out, but like there's just something awesome about like we talked about in that pod a while back, like the Knicks and Pacers were two of the most consistent teams of the 1990s. Um, and I love that. Like seeing the Pacers go to four or five Eastern conference finals in eight years. Like um, they always lost to Michael Jordan, 
and where they always lost to Patrick Ewing, but they they finally had things break right and they make the finals. Um, I think there's a real avenue to do that when you're a smaller market team. If you can, you know, build things up correctly and you, I don't want to say bide your time, but to an extent you have to, like um, you get lucky and okay, you throw all your chips and you're like, all right, we're going to go make this, this move. We're going to get one or two guys who are really going to push us over the top. And then we're going to go for it. Um, I think that's the real avenue. And I, I, you know, I think we get way too caught up with the idea of like, oh, well, we have to tank for Cade. Like, Cade, first of all, Cade Cunningham is going to be amazing. But, like, he's not going to end up in Indiana. Like, you can sell off everything right now, and they won't end up with the number one pick. So that's where I'm at on that. Even there, and I feel like, particularly for small market teams, like, if Gobert is a free agent, somebody's paying him if the Jazz don't. And what is the motivation for a team that's not a free agent draw to tank and draft someone knowing that almost immediately the clock is ticking on that player wanting a trade out anyway. Exactly. Like, Cause they're I, not I, good. Like they will be a 31 team. Like, and then that's been the problem for, I mean, you look at what happened with the Sixers, everyone allows the Sixers for what they did. Um, and I think it was just a massive mismanagement. And I mean, like uh, credit to Sam Hinkie for coming up with the idea and, and eventually making it work, but you look at it, I mean, I tweeted out this video. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's a somebody made a montage of all of the um, the I think it's the 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 fallen of the process. It's like a four minute montage of every dude who like got drafted and ended up like out of the league. Um, and I mean, that's just so real. Like it took them like you know six years of being just utter dog shit to get to having two really damn good players, and they're still struggling to make it work. Yep, so, exactly. Like, I, I just don't think it's worth it. And I, I know, like, people will throw out the idea, like, oh, well, fan attendance doesn't matter, blah, blah, blah. Well, I look at the Pacers um, with what happened with the Malice at the Palace. I mean, that shook the franchise. They had to completely rebrand, um, like, tear down the team. Uh, and it took them until, you know, that, that 12, 13, 11, 12 team before they were, like, really a real viable team again. You know, it took them a long time. And still, I think high school basketball is bigger in Indiana than than pro basketball. And if the Pacers were bad, I wonder how much uh, real fan attention you draw. So I, I think that's just an important thing that you have to think about. Well, it's not as important as like, you know, TV money and stuff. Um, it's still like, I mean, why would I want to come play in a place where half the half the arena is empty? You know, that's just another thing that factors into it. But what's that? Yeah, I think, but overall, though, with my ideal thing, if, if things go right, I think uh, Victor Oladipo stays a pacer and he gets paid because I, I or, or maybe something does happen with the trade. But ideally, I think uh, this team just uh, to say overperforms would be wrong, but things just go in like their 10th percentile or 15th or 10th percentile uh, outcome. Because um, I think they, they have like a really interesting range of outcomes. They could be like, it would take a lot, but they could be a, a nine seed. That would be like just an insane amount of injuries again. But if they really mesh well and Victor's back to 95% of himself um, and by some grace of God, Turner Sabonis works or they, they trade one of them and get a equal asset. I mean, that's potentially pushing like the three or four seed um, depending on how things shake out. So I, I don't know. There's a lot there. That team that took Cleveland to game seven a couple of years ago, would be a lot of fun to see scaring somebody in the East, whether it's Brooklyn or, or Milwaukee or, or Boston or Philly or upsetting someone. They were, they were so much Oladipo that year against LeBron was so much fun to watch. Um, and just, and, and I'm very excited by, and maybe it's because of, of what the Knicks and the Knicks have generally been, like a baseball player who swings for the fences, but like strikes yeah. out all the time. Chris Davis, the Chris Davis of, of NBA yes. teams. If you want to go way back in the day, there was a guy named Rob Deere who would hit like 200 every year with like 40 home runs and 100, yeah. whatever. I, got. I would love to see the Knicks one year just like hit a double, like just, and, and I'm hoping this year is that year. So I hear you in terms of at the market thing is completely different, but it would be nice just to see like, you know what? I know you're not going to win it all, but, uh, there's just something satisfying as a fan. Still to this day, a lot of Nick fans, younger fans, love the the Stoudemire team before they acquired Carmelo. Mm-hmm. That was kind of this scrappy, a little bit above 500, but it was the first team in years that had been any good. And to a lot of people, that team of 
Stoudemire and, and Gallinari and Wilson Chandler and uh, Raymond Felton and Landry Fields, like a lot of people still hold that really close to their heart. Um, and then, you know, the Knicks made all these moves and they had the one great year where they lost to the Pacers and then that was it. Yeah. There's, there's been nothing since then. So I hear you as far as like, you know, give me something that I can follow and care about. Yeah, totally. And also Wilson Chandler is like one of the, like the, he, he was like one of the most above average players that nobody talked about for like the last mm-hmm. decade. It feels like he was so good, like kind really of an injury prone guy, but he was both him and Gallo were super injury prone, but like, yeah. oh man, Very they were fun. Him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I really like Wilson. Um, Yeah. So I guess kind of in transitioning, um, in, in, what are you looking for on while well, we're recording this on Monday? So I guess, what are we looking for on, on Wednesday? Like one or one or two main things that you're looking for from the Knicks in their first game. I'm very curious to see who starts. Um, I wrote a piece a while ago where I, I dove into Thibodeau's history um, with rookies and you don't need to dive in to know that he has not generally played them a ton. Um, a Kogi in Minnesota played a lot. And so did um, someone who's escaping me right now, but I'm very curious. I'm very curious about the starting lineup. I want to see if quickly is starting. Um, the, as you can imagine, the whole city now basically is ready to build a statue to Emmanuel quickly. Mm-hmm. And we're ready for him to start, but I don't see that being Thibodeau's MO. Um, so it'll be, if he starts just on a cultural level, that will be interesting to see. Um, I'm also very curious to see um, the, the distribution of minutes between Randall and Toppin. Um, yeah. Thibodeau doesn't at all strike me as someone who who generally is going to lose games, but because of the abbreviated preseason, I think you have to treat some of the regular season somewhat as a, a canvas just to test things out. Um, and there was some tension that arose in the offseason, apparently, about, um, and it was obvious to anyone who watched the team last year, Randall and Peyton had a sort of tunnel vision thing with each other. And you'll see it a lot with Randall in the offense, there's certain people he won't pass. He will not pass to Frank Nilekina. Um, And there were a number of times where he seemed to consciously get in the way of Barrett, either not passing, basically not passing him the ball. Um, and Peyton and Randall are like the two older boys at the playground who just want to keep. And there's a lot of curiosity for me about was that my suspicion is if you've ever been the best player on a team, even just out on the playground, there is a point where if you want to win, you might think to yourself, like, I'm not passing to that guy because he can't do anything. Like, I need to try to do this. I'm very curious to see um, how Randall plays this year on a roster that I think is better constructed and how the Knicks are going to balance out, especially the front court minutes between Noel and Mitchell and Randall and Toppin, because They've added Alec Burks. They have quickly. Bullock is healthy, which he wasn't at the start of last year. They have a little bit of shooting, um, but I'm very curious to see. I'm especially curious to see where they fit Kevin Knox into everything. Knox, the last couple of preseason games, was brilliant. Um, and there's still hope among a lot of people that, like, he was drafted as a project. And when you see him coming through ever, it really excites you as to, like, wow, what this guy could be. But where are you going to play him? Because – yeah. Randall and Toppin, Knox is not a four, but he never seems like a quick enough dude to play the three. So um, I would say really that's it. I'm curious about who starts. I'm curious about the minutes at the four, and I'm curious about can Kevin Knox, who really struggles with confidence and has been kind of open about that, um, can he keep it going? Or was it just a magical two games against the Cavaliers shorthanded and we'll soon be reminded of like why a lot of people were done with Knox in the first place. That's what I'm looking for. What yeah. about you? Yeah, I'm looking for seeing the starting lineup play for the first time because um, TJ Warren was out with plantar fasciitis the entire preseason, um, which I'm a little bit worried about actually because I that could be something that he deals with the entire year. Um, but I'm I'm really interested interested to see how Nate Bjorkman uses him because. A lot of uh, a lot of last year, and, and Caitlin talks about this because she's a genius. Um, like you know, using TJ Warren as uh, using his gravity to get other people open because that's kind of the next stage for him if he can um, become a better passer because he's really not a great passer right now. He started showing a little bit 
um, here and there. Um, but I mean, that's huge if he can, if he can do that, because uh, just given the nature of the team, they have to, everybody has to be a plus decision maker because um, there's no real true number one option. Um, so I'm really inter interested to see how that works because in uh, gosh, I think it was the first game against Cleveland. They took five shots that were not outside the arc or in the paint, which is the complete opposite of how the Pacers have played for the last, you know, my entire life. So um it, and that was without TJ though. And TJ makes his living between six and 18. So I I'm interested too, is he going to be running pick and roll? Like we saw a little bit of, uh, or a lot of, and that was a huge reason for why he was scoring so effectively in the bubble. He was doing that. He was taking shots off the dribble that, that looked really damn good from beyond the arc. Uh, is he going to be able to continue that? Um, because that adds just a whole other dimension. That's huge. And I think also uh, I would be like, but I, I want to see what he does with the bench, what Nate Bjorgren does with the bench, because I still have so many questions about them and, and how they look. Um, I really want to see some starters play with the bench um, just because we haven't seen a lot of that. Um, and also I want to just see uh, counters happen. Like one thing that has been really nice is that the out of timeout stuff, you know, sideline out of bounds plays, they've been awesome. Like there were, you know, three or four against Philadelphia that ended up in scoring plays um, which that's something that was a big problem with Nate McMillan. Uh, just having the creativity and doing that has been awesome. So I'm interested to see like that chess match kind of happen during a game and see how, how Nate Bjorkman starts to try and solve things. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, I could go on and on, man. I have so much that I'm looking forward to. Um, I guess the last thing I would say too is, uh, and we saw in preseason that Aaron Holiday was playing over TJ McConnell, but that was because, he, I mean, he was starting um, and you really can't start TJ with that group. Um, but is he going to play over TJ McConnell? Because that was one of my things last year. Uh, I love TJ McConnell, great dude. Um, but he's, I don't want to say he's a crutch, but like he's, you know what you're getting with TJ McConnell. Aaron Holiday is a guy who, if if you want to to get more out of him, you got to play him more and see what he can do and, and really give him that run. So that's that's kind of the, the other thing I'm really hopeful for, but, but we'll definitely see, man. Yeah, yeah, it should be an exciting season there. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I, I'm excited to see the Knicks too. I, I, uh, I don't know. I mean, you answered, you, you said all the questions I would have about them. Um, I, I haven't been super in on Kevin Knox. I guess I'm like really interested to see what happens with RJ Barrett, just what kind of growth he has this year. Um, but overall, it'll just be cool to see the Knicks with like a competent team. Like, I, it, and I know it's not perfect yet, but like, no, it just, it feels like the front office actually has a direction. They have a coaching staff in place. That's going to, put something out on the court that, that you can kind of trust and know like, okay, they're doing stuff out there that's leading to eventual wins. So um, I'm excited for that. There's a, there's a, there's a lot to be excited about. I'm just glad basketball's here, man. It's weird that it's like just now starting up right before Christmas. Um, but I'm here for it. Yeah. It's a, uh, it was uh, <laughs> when the, I usually cover the games and my, my fiance and daughter will watch them with me and they get very into it. And mm -hmm the first game that they played back in New York was the first time that we had seen Walt Frazier in like nine months. Yeah. So before the game, my little daughter, she's eight and she sees the screen and she's like, oh, Clyde. And she's like all excited. And, so <laughs> and by the third quarter, Clyde did like three rhymes in a row. And they were both like, all right, I'm, I'm done. With that. <laughs> That's priceless. Man. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very, I was, I'm, I'm still very unsettled on like ethical consumption of the game right now um for a lot of reasons but i uh, just on a personal level um i was like fiending to have something to dig into um, yeah and, and even three preseason games and i i've been lucky that i picked the three games that they won so so far it's just been like nothing but joy um but it's really 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 it was very welcome just to have your brain able to like chew on that instead of thinking about everything that you've been thinking about for nine months, you know? Yeah, no, exactly, man. I'm uh, yeah, it's uh, hopefully next time we talk, things are a little bit cleaner on the outside world, but uh, I'm not banking on it. So uh, hopefully, but uh, before I get you out of here, man, what are, what are you up to? You know, what's uh, what's going on in life? That's cool. Or uh, what do you want people to know about? Yeah. Uh, let's see. We have, um, so Wednesday um, I'll be covering the game for the Strickland, um, I'm alternating between them and posting this year. So Saturday, the Knicks play the Sixers. Yeah, um, I'll be covering that for posting. And in 
January, I'm starting um, a sports podcast for Jacobin Magazine um, with Jonah Finch. So our pod, um, very creatively, is called the Jacobin Sports Show. And <laughs> our first episode will be pretty basketball-centered. So um, if you somehow have any room in your life for any additional NBA content, because God knows that's lacking, um, you can tune in and listen to um, Jonah Finch and I. He's a Celtic fan, so I'm a Nick fan. So we have fun and we have sometimes disagreements, um, but he's a very good guy. And I'm very excited um, to be getting the chance to, to have a pot of my own. And potentially one day Mark Schindler will grace the Jacobin sports. I show. would love to, man. Nothing more. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, dude, that'd be great. Well, also, yeah, to everyone listening, of course, um, Strickland's just new over quarantine. I've really enjoyed them and, and reading their stuff and also listening to the pod as well. Caitlin's been on a few times. So of course, go check them out. Posting's great, but I know Strickland's a little bit newer. So for everybody listening, definitely uh, be sure to add them to your news rotation. Um, it's a weird URL. It's the strict.land. Um, I did not know that. I just, yeah, I just click links. So I, I have no idea. Right. Twitter's, my, uh, Twitter's my vessel. My laptop keeps memorizing the strickland.com, which I think is some guy named Mike Strickland's like personal website. So don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Strickland.land and you will find us or just Google the Strickland and it'll come right up. Perfect. Well, to everyone listening, uh, thank you for listening. Of course, I'll, I'll drop all the links below for, for Matt's stuff um, and just have a good rest of your day.